it does not look good for for Russia to to have that kind of loss at, at that kind of a, of a threat level. Well, it was the biggest warship to be sunk since the Argentine ship, the General Belgrano, went down in the Falklands War after being torpedoed by a British nuclear submarine. I want to say it was HMS Conqueror. The Moscova, which was the flagship of the Russian Black Sea Fleet, is now at the bottom of the Black Sea, and it's an astonishing event for a number of reasons that we're just about to talk about. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott, and this is your right angle on the loss of your flagship, your Navy flagship. Uh, gentlemen, as always with the fog of war, and especially in this particular case, because Russia's keeping them th this details very close to the vest, there's no question that the Moskva is now down at the at the bottom, that the ship sank. It, it sank as it was trying to be towed back to port. It seems very likely, and I've heard a number of different both official and, and private intelligence agencies say that the reason it was sunk was because it was hit by two Neptune missiles, which are the Ukrainian knockoff of the Russian version of the American Harpoon, which is a anti-ship missile, but it's not got the punch of a tomahawk. And it appears again, again, with all the caveats of fog of war, it looks like it took two hits from these Neptune uh, uh surface-to-surface anti-ship missiles, and down she went. Uh, Steve, the, the Moskva is extraordinarily well-armed and well-armed defensively. It has long-range anti-aircraft missiles. It has short-range anti-air missiles. It has point defense systems. And it should not have been able, it, it should rather have been able to have taken on this kind of a, of a threat. The way that you defeat modern uh, surface ships is by simply flooding their defenses. You simply put so many missiles on target at the same time that even the best defensive systems are getting most of them, but they're overwhelmed. This certainly didn't seem to be the case here. And so my question is, was the loss of the, of the Moskva an indication that the Russian Navy is, is, in, is in as bad shape as the Russian Air Force and Russian Army appear to be. In other words, looks good in the showroom, um, but but in terms of actual operational capabilities, it doesn't seem to me like this ship should have gone down. Um, actually, the Russian Navy is in worse shape than the Russian Army, because at least the Russian Army has mass. Uh, the Russian Navy is just a, a shadow of the Soviet forces, uh, which quality-wise, were, were never that great. And the Moskva was commissioned, excuse me, she was laid down in 1976, if I remember correctly, or at least her, her sister ship, one of her sister ships were, was, and was commissioned, I think, in 1982. So we're talking about a, a ship that's been in service for 40 years. Now, to give you an idea of what this ship's supposed to do, I'm talking about its missiles and whatnot, um, the the Slava-class ships, there were three of them. Now, now there are two, uh, are the supposed to be the equivalent of an American Ticonderoga-class Aegis cruiser. Uh, these are these are big ships. Uh, I want to say about twenty thousand tons displacement, five six hundred officers and and men on board, and its job is to have this all seeing radar that makes basically an impenetrable bubble around the ship, a hundred two hundred miles in diameter. And inside that bubble, anything that is flying that is not supposed to be flying, this ship knocks down with its anti-aircraft missiles. And it doesn't matter if that's an enemy fighter, an enemy bomber, a cruise missile, anti-ship missile, whatever it is. If a Tycho-class cruiser or a Slava-class cruiser doesn't want that thing flying, it stops flying. 
What's interesting is uh, when I wrote about this last week for PJ Media, it hadn't the ship hadn't yet sunk. There were conflicting reports. The Ukrainians were saying they saw they saw it tipping over. The Russians were denying the whole thing. And I, I wrote a piece uh, just hours before it finally sank and the Russians admitted it sank. Uh, concluding that the Ukrainians probably did hit this thing with a couple of Neptune missiles. And what I leaned on was the timeline. Uh, because the ship was so far out to sea at the time, I want to say uh, 60 miles, there was no way the Ukrainian radio chatter could have been falsified because there was no way for them to know that this ship was on fire. It could not have been an accidental fire like Moscow was claiming at the time. The, the, the timelines just didn't match up. So I am more than convinced that the Ukrainians did indeed hit this thing with a couple of, of missiles. What's interesting is um, the Ukrainians were supposed to be building a bunch of these Neptune missile batteries, but they only got one procured and in place before the war started. Uh, so I don't know how many missiles they have, but only one battery. They can't afford to lose it. So they seem to have done something very intelligent, very, very cagey, knowing something about uh, this particular ship, the Moskva. It's all-seeing radar is not all-seeing. Apparently, it can only see in 120 or 180 degrees at the same time. So instead of this bubble like a Tycho-class American ship has, there's it's just got a segment that moves around. And these Ukrainians tricked it. They flew a drone on the far side of the Mosfa to distract that radar, then launched two missiles, hoping to get lucky because, again, they've only got the one battery and a limited number of missiles. They got lucky, but they got lucky because they were smart and very crafty in putting this together. The uh, The real tell here, Bill, and I think the real danger going forward is uh, the official line coming out from Moscow now is this. It was Ukrainian missiles that hit the ship, but they did it at the behest of shadowy NATO interests that actually conceived and helped execute the whole mission. Uh, in terms of, of propaganda against the West, that's a real escalation and a real danger here, I think. Absolutely, it is, yes. But they have no choice, Steve. I mean, you can cover the loss of thousands of troops, but you can't explain why this big honking ship isn't at the dock when it, when its crew is supposed to come home. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I, I think on some level, I find the Russian explanation, and again, I, I don't believe this is the case, but wasn't there, and I don't know, but I find the Russian explanation to be worse from a public relations point of view, uh, a fire broke out on our on our flagship in the um, in the Black Sea, and the fire consumed the ship and it sank. Uh, I I find that to be much more uh, damaging to national pride than than the idea that it, it took a, a a couple of missile hits. It definitely sounds desperate. I mean, if you're willing to essentially uh, boast that you sank your own ship rather than to let it be known that the enemy did. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, obviously a great public relations coup for Ukraine, no matter how it happened, frankly, because one way or the other, the ship is down. And that in itself uh, is kind of a, a picture. It's an avatar of the way this war has been going. You know, you've got from the one side, you've got all these stories about how Russia is hitting civilian targets from hospitals to train stations and, you know, convoys of people trying to just trying to escape and get out of the city. And on the other side, you have, you know, Russian generals uh, being killed uh, in some cases by their own troops. Uh, and now you have this major uh, ship being taken down, uh, no matter how it happened, 
it doesn't bode well for Vladimir Putin. And, you know, to me, this isn't a war of Russia against Ukraine. It's a war of Vladimir Putin against Ukraine. So, uh, you know, this is his story. And he just lost one of, as Steve describes it, one of three major vessels. And that is going to reflect badly on him. Right before we went to record this, I saw a story that one of his cronies who worked for Gazprom Bank was a top executive there, uh, suddenly turned up dead along with his wife and his 13-year-old daughter, um, by apparently by his hand with his pistol, but it's hard to say exactly what happened there. But this is a guy who has benefited from Putin's cronyism system that has enriched both Putin and all the oligarchs around him. And this has impact on those people. When you, when one of Putin's old buddies who has subsisted in wealth and luxury because of this perception of Putin's unshakable power suddenly starts seeing major losses like this, this has got to shake them. And if they don't take him out, they may take themselves out. Yeah. The, um, the admiral in charge of the Black Sea fleet, my understanding is that he was arrested, violently arrested when, when this happened. That's never a good sign. Um, this particular uh, ship, the, the Moskva, uh, was designed to be an, uh, an aircraft carrier killer. If you look at the design of the ship, it's got banks of, of slanted missiles, two, 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 two. So it's got eight on a side, 16 total. And the missiles inside these tubes, as you can see from the size of this, uh, of this tube, they're practically intercontinental ballistic missiles. I mean, this thing just shoots big, 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 big bullets. And the entire purpose of that class was to be used against American aircraft carriers, because if missiles of that size hit a carrier, even an American carrier, you got a good chance of knocking it down. But here's the thing. In order to hit an American carrier, you got to hit the American carrier. And, and to lose a ship of that, of that size and complexity with such, and I, and I, I'm just taking this as a guy who studies naval history a lot. With such a kind of an amateur hour attack, and, I, and that's no reflection on the Ukrainians, but seriously, as Steve pointed out, they have a limited number of launchers. It's not like we put 30, uh, you know, F-18 Hornets into the battle space and, and put 200 harpoons on the ship. I mean, it should have been able to defend itself against this. It has, it has three different layers of anti-air defense. And if it was, in fact, duped by drones, hmm. which there is some evidence for, then that is a, a, a real condemnation, not only of the technology, but also, and much more importantly, of, of the operational procedures, the training, uh, all of this stuff. It does not look good for, for Russia to, to have that kind of loss at, at that kind of a, of a threat level. And, and looking at this going forward, you have to start asking yourself some pretty serious questions, especially if you're China. If you have your plans to um, invade uh, Taiwan and you've just watched five weeks of the most powerful land army in the world, at least by numbers anyway, being taken out by American precision weapons, and now you find that the Navy that you're going to need to sail from the mainland over across the Swedes, you're going to have to you're going to have to cross some water there. You're not going to be able to do that with a pontoon bridge. If it turns out that these highly touted Soviet uh, Russian uh, ships are not able to defend themselves against a relatively limited attack, then all of a sudden, strangely enough, the Ukrainian war seems to be 
making Taiwan's position stronger and stronger and stronger on a daily basis, although that was certainly not the way anybody was going to guess when, it, when the whole thing started. Uh, you always regret the loss of life no matter, no matter what, no matter who. But the final thing that I'm curious about that I don't have any information about, but it will eventually come out, is I'm curious to know whether the ship could have been saved by a really well-trained, highly motivated uh, damage control team. The thing we learned from World War II was that time and time again, American ships, especially carriers, were saved by the timely action and the initiative of, of our damage control teams. And when I was honored to be able to go aboard a U.S. Um, uh, Aegis-class destroyer, USS Spruance, uh, I was told by the executive officer that um, the U.S. Navy Every single person is a damage control specialist. They don't have a damage control team that can either be destroyed in the initial explosion or be unable to get to the scene. Everybody trains. Everybody's ready. And I would be curious to know if that kind of doctrinal uh, attitude that the U.S. Navy has and which we, which we paid a lot of blood for, I'm curious to know whether that would have saved that particular ship. I don't know. We'll see. It's Fleet Week here on Right Angle. The other show that we'll be doing this week is also about the Navy. This one's about the U.S. Navy, so we'll see you next door for that one. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time.